0: this is the koto community radio news for monday july 11th i'm julia Caulfield. in today's headlines ukraine under fire every person is a party at the Ah ahahaha narrow morphs take telluride and a mountain weather forecast but first firefighters and san miguel county sheriff deputies responded to a wildfire on the Burn Canyon bike trail outside of Norwood on Sunday. According to the sheriff's office, the fire was started by a lightning strike and burned roughly a quarter acre. Approximately 20 firefighters responded. No structures were in danger and there were no injuries. Jordan Campbell stumbled into filmmaking and journalism.
1: I co-led an expedition to Nepal with athletes from the north face. And we did a two-part medical mission and climbing expedition. And that was to cure blindness in southern Nepal in the Solukhumbu region. And uh, that was with a really prominent um, cataract corneal surgeon named Jeff Tabin. And uh, a few years later, I went to South Sudan with that same doctor. And we did the first medical eye care mission, at least to our knowledge, into South Sudan.
0: Those experiences turned into a documentary, which premiered and won awards at Mountain Film. In the years since, Campbell has traveled the world to witness and document hardship, violence, and moments of resistance.
1: I've been to Nepal twice. I've been to Libya twice, uh, Lebanon, southern Lebanon in the Hezbollah region, and uh, Iraq twice, and Colombia and, and Guatemala. And whether or not you're showing up as a journalist or as a volunteer or as a filmmaker, you're sort of wearing, you know, a certain level of security in these sort of kinetic and conflict-affected countries. And, you know, it all sounds really romantic, but the truth of the matter is it's really sad to see a lot of these countries just so disaffected by war and um, just the – The overall humanitarian toll and cost that I've seen is what really makes me more want to double down and work in that field and in that space.
0: Now Campbell is back in the San Juans. He lives in Ridgeway and will be presenting at the library this week to discuss his decades of work, most recently in Ukraine, with an event titled Ukraine Under Fire. Throughout his work, Campbell says his focus is to step back from the nuts and bolts of the conflict and look at the human stories of life on the ground.
1: I really think it's easy to get caught up in a little sideshows or definitely get stuck in the war itself as a destination, but it's really, you know, having gone on this trip to Ukraine, you know, the things that I saw, horrible things. I saw really horrible things, and uh, I think the big takeaways that really hit me the most were like seeing a family being torn apart at a bus stop where the father is saying goodbye to his wife and his two daughters, and they're all crying and holding each other. I mean, that's the stuff that I feel like we need to really drop into as, you know, people looking in on a horrible conflict in this case.
0: This time in Ukraine, Campbell originally visited in 2017. He says a primary focus was on the organization Global Outreach Doctors.
1: This team of, of really edgy paramedics and clinicians and nurses that are, you know, running around the country at the time, at least. We were, we were in ambulances, and I was riding either shotgun or in the back, bouncing around and um, going into s- these um, recently liberated towns of Bucha, Borijanka, Irpin, Chernev, where the Russians had, you know, really occupied the region. And uh, we were there to just to serve people who had just been uh, liberated and help them where we could. And, you know, we saw a 92-year-old woman who had been in her house for two weeks, and she finally came out, and we gave her water and bandaged her head. And we worked with a guy whose arm had been broken, and we worked with another man whose fingers were shot off by a Russian soldier um, at, a, at a checkpoint just because. And uh, And I guess there's a third leg to that is that I also just wanted to kind of, like, as a citizen journalist, trying to grab whatever sort of evidence of just egregious humanitarian crimes or war crimes I could get while I was there.
0: Campbell stresses the importance of witnessing reality and telling the stories truthfully.
1: If no one's doing it, then there's absolutely no, you know, sort of citizen journalist on the ground there in Ukraine. Well, that's not good. Uh, I think more of that is better. I think more amplification of, of good works that are being done is really important. But just telling the story as authentically as I can, and I'm not tied to a massive network. I'm just a small company and a, one individual. I think that matters, and that's where people seem to respond the most. They're like, look, I'm getting my news from CNN or BBC or ABC News or Al Jazeera, but you know, what is it really like, Jordan, on the ground? What are you really seeing?
0: One memory sticks out when Campbell thinks of the reason he does the work.
1: One of the biggest memories I have was being on a train, a night train from Kyiv to Lviv. And I was on my way back out of the country actually. And I was just fried and I didn't have any food. And I was on this train with really no one I knew. And it's really hard to travel with, you know, you're like documentary film kit and you're alone with two suitcases and you got a flak jacket and a helmet and the other suitcase. And I just didn't have, you know, I was just totally wiped out. And this mother-daughter combo sitting next to me basically in the other car came over and just introduced themselves and one the daughter spoke really great english and they were telling me that they were leaving the country for what might be years because they were now refugees and they gave me food and gave me a sandwich and they took care of me and it was just this like moment where i was like wow what really hit me in the, the head you know so many times over but this moment was just the ukrainian resilience and the strength of this country and these people is just it's just enormous
0: jordan campbell is going back to ukraine next month he will present ukraine under fire at the wilkinson public library on wednesday july 13th at 5 30 p.m
2: we're going to stand we're going to stand we're going to stand and have some fun
0: Glitter on the ceilings and floors, tinsel tornadoes, balloon animal madness, anything could be in store at the AHA School for the Arts HaHa. It's an explosion of creative chaos. That's Chris Kwasniewski, exhibitions manager at the AHA. We've decided to call it the
2: AHA HaHa because you can't say that without laughing a little bit. (laughs) And uh, our theme for this year is every person is a party. So we wanted to make sure that as soon
0: as people got to the Silverjack building, they felt like they were a party. It's the school's annual fundraiser, Reimagined. Here's Kristen Marcos, director of events and rentals at the AHA.
3: We have invited a group of artists regional, national, international, to each take over a space in AHA School for the Arts and create an immersive and interactive installation that our guests can participate in. Kwasniewski
0: notes it's an opportunity to live in different immersive installation art
3: worlds.
2: There aren't a ton of um, opportunities to really experience installation art in Telluride and it's such a unique and exciting way of experiencing any kind of creative practice. It's totally immersive and playful and exciting. You're being transported to a different world. And with the haha, you're being transported to 10 different worlds. Um, I think that anybody who goes through the haha is going to come out excited and a little bit more playful and with a, a wider understanding of what art can be.
0: According to Kwasniewski and Marcos, the interaction will hit you the moment event goers get to the Silverjack building. That starts um, before you even come into the building with some
2: projection mapping outside of the building that will start in the next week. We're very excited. Um, And then as soon as you enter the Silverjack building, you are going to be in a balloon explosion. Addie Somek and Finn Thompson um, are two internationally recognized balloon artists. Um, Addie has been at it for years. Finn is 15 years old uh, and truly a balloon prodigy. Uh, They're working together to create an incredible... Uh, transformation of the lobby and hallways so as soon as you walk in you know you're in for something different but that's just the beginning as you walk through the building, each classroom, each space is a, a different sensory overload experience. Um, we have Christopher Warren is transforming the possibilities kids classroom into an interactive, uh, topographic map of Telluride. Uh, Walker Metling, who runs the Providence Comics Consortium out of Providence, Rhode Island, is transforming, transforming, excuse me, the um, gallery into a weird interactive circus. Um, it's going to be so fun. Uh, and then when you go down the hall to the ceramic studio. You walk into Woolly Caverns, which is created
0: by Flair Robinson. And that's only the first floor. There will be specialty cocktails, community art, a gift shop with HaHa merch and work from the featured artists. A tactile experience for everyone involved. Marcos notes it's about more than the featured artists.
3: But encouraging people to be creative in a different way than the literal sense of grabbing a paintbrush and painting in a class, it's um, more interactive. Marcos adds she hopes the ha-ha encourages adults
0: to lean into whimsy.
3: I think as adults so frequently we hear people say, oh, I'm not artistic or I'm not creative. And so to strive for these out-of-the-box experiences that can maybe reawaken that creativity. And I think also Feeling that little spark, people will maybe be encouraged to come to AHA and take a class and and think outside of what they're normally viewing as quote unquote art. Because hey,
0: every person is a party at the AHA Haha. One, two, three. The AHA Haha kicks off on Friday, July fifteenth, from seven to eleven p.m. Saturday, July 16th from 4 to 6 p.m. and 8 to 10 p.m., and a special kiddos event on Sunday, July 17th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Tickets and a full haha ha guide are available at aha.org. A rare corner of quiet in Telluride's busy summer season has come to life over the past few weeks. The elementary school has been roused from its summer hibernation by the Telluride Neuromorphic Engineering Workshop. KOTO's Gavin McGough has more.
4: It's late on a Friday afternoon on the second floor of the Telluride Elementary School, with the sounds of a kid's summer camp coming in through open windows. Cutouts of the ABC's ring the walls and the miniature chairs hover a mere foot above the floor. But the room is a buzz with the whirring of futuristic computers, body sensors, and scientists murmuring in excited collaboration. These are the so-called Telluride neuromorphs, known to some for their annual march in the 4th of July parade. The neuromorphs are back in the elementary school for the 28th year of their annual workshop. And what exactly is neuromorphology? This field of science works with computers, robots, and biology to better understand the human brain and advance artificial intelligence. Julia sander Miskaya, a workshop organizer and a researcher from Munich, has become a conference regular.
5: I've been at this workshop since 2007, and each time we do amazing projects, that we start here and then they continue to publications.
4: There are a few other neuromorphic conferences for sharing papers and discussions, but the three-week Telluride workshop has a special importance for this international field of science.
5: The workshop is more intense. It's longer, it's more intense work, um, so it's a smaller group. But it's the core group of our community.
4: The workshop is not just for discussion, but involves the development of real projects. Throughout the elementary school, you'll find scientists and PhD students working with cameras, sensors, computers, and equipment of all types, brought into town just for the occasion.
5: The colleagues uh, who work in, in America, they usually come with vans and bring a lot of you know, computing technology, all the chips, the hardware, the robots. For us, coming from Europe, it's a little bit more complicated, but I managed to, to bring a little fleet of robots <laughs> I had to explain on the border <laughs> what this is about.
4: With the late afternoon sun glazing the blackboards in the wooden floor and the green walls of the canyon beyond, the schoolhouse feels like an idyllic workspace, even in midsummer.
5: It's a, and It's a very nice environment for us because it reminds us of you know, education. In the end, a lot of what we're doing um, is also to influence you know, education because this is how the next generation of researchers can come about.
4: Sander Miskaya explains that this appreciation for place amongst the scientists and PhD students extends beyond the school to Telluride itself.
5: When you come here as a student, so I remember, you feel really special. You know you're in this special place. It's amazing nature around. This is a small but very like, special town, uh, and you feel privileged. There's not, no, too much to do in the city, which kind of locks us to the room. So if you come here at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., there will be students still working on their project. And after some time, it brings you um, in, in a special mood that is more creative, more collaborative than what you usually get at home, like in, in the lab. So I think it's a very unique
4: environment. The neuromorphs, however, are not immune to the challenges faced by Telluride today. With cost in Telluride rising, the conference faces difficult decisions for its future.
5: Uh, financially it's uh, very hard to sustain it because for the students the travel is already expensive the housing was always expensive um, but this year the prices were extreme um, so now it's a little bit endangered the organization committee is in panic we don't want to
4: move but like so many in town the neuromorphs are determined to find a way to stay even if only for a few weeks each summer
5: we'll try to find some solutions i think we try to do whatever is possible to be able to stay here
6: and you sort of feed back a version of it. Can you sort of drive the EEG? The conference wraps
4: up at the end of the week. Demonstrations of this year's projects are planned for Thursday afternoon at the elementary school and are open to the public. You'll find them on the second floor. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough.
0: Telluride Town Council is gathering on Tuesday for what will hopefully be a short and sweet meeting. This week on G is for Government, Council Member Geneva Charnett shares what to expect. Hey Geneva, thanks for joining me for another installment of G is for Government. So happy to be here. We're excited to have you back in person for COVID. Threw us for a whirl, huh? Yeah, totally. Well, it, it... Always feels nice to stop by the Purple House on Pines. So. Have you be here. <laughs> um, Telluride Town Council is yeah. back on Tuesday for its regularly scheduled meeting. And it's a it's a little bit of a, a shorter meeting this week. Well, don't jinx us. I mean, knock but... on wood. <laughs>
7: <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we've got... Uh, there's some things... We, we always have a long list of things that we want to – that are agenda items that we need to get to, but um, timing's everything. So uh, we're looking forward to getting through some stuff on here, although I will say that I think that the first work session is relevant to everyone who lives in the region, um, and I'm excited that we're, uh, we're talking about it at the meeting. So – please tune in at 10 a.m. We are having an update on the town's community visioning process. And what that basically is, is we've hired an outside firm that's going to help, that has been helping and will continue to work with the community, um, Through surveys and through in-person meetings and pop-ups like at the farmer's market to talk about what is important to our community and where do we see our community going in the future. And so, you know, this is run by the town of Telluride, but it's meant to be for the Telluride region um, and, you know, questions about what are the best things about living here? What are some of the challenges with living here? What are things What are things that the government can do, um, and specifically the town of Telluride uh, can do, to try and make the quality of life better for locals, visitors, and everybody in between? Um, so we have a survey. It is out. It is live. You can find it on the town's website. Um, but we will be at this work session hearing from Ron Quarles, uh, sort of an update of. Where we are in the process, um, and uh, what upcoming events, and how people can get involved and make their voices heard. Because we all we have a lot of water cooler talk, but um, about you know things we may be frustrated or excited about. But it would be really great if everybody could participate in this, so we can get a good clear picture of um, what we should be focusing on as town government.
0: Yeah. So that's the first work session. There are two others that get a little, seem to get a little bit more into the weeds of things. Can you just give a, a little bit of an overview on those?
7: Yeah, I mean, some people might be super interested to hear about our construction mitigation plans. We got a lot of construction going on um, around town and it is definitely impacting residents. So we are going to be discussing some changes we can make to our local laws that can maybe uh, ease some of those impacts. Um, we've got some great uh, examples from other mountain communities for of what they've done to try and help alleviate some of that pressure. Um, and then, and that's at ten forty. And then after that um, shout out to Tiffany, our clerk, cause she's amazing, but this is probably not everybody's top most interesting topic. Um, but we're going to talk about amendments to the local exceptions to the Colorado m- municipal records retention schedule. So you know, we have a lot of paperwork, we have to keep track of it. And there's different schedules for how long we have to keep things and in what format and, um, you know, literally bookkeeping. So uh, that is the last work
0: session of the morning. And the morning those work sessions is where the I would say maybe the the bulk of interest might lie. Um, The afternoon has more kind of admin style things going on. Is there anything in the afternoon that you think folks would be interested in tuning in for?
7: Yeah, I mean, I do think um, the right after lunch at 1 o'clock, after public comment, um, our mayor is going to be giving the state of the town address, which uh, the mayor will do twice a year. We're about halfway through, uh, a little bit further, I guess. So um, definitely uh, tune in for that if you are interested to hear sort of the summary of where, how we're doing. And then, yeah, in the afternoon we have... Um, so a public hearing, some action items, liquor license, uh, hearings, things like that, that are a little more specific and maybe not as interesting uh, to the folks in the public, but, um, at the end of the afternoon at one, around one we we're scheduled for administrative reports, and that's when we get to hear from the manager, the uh, town attorney, and different town council members about things that they've been doing um, outside of just specific council meetings. So always a good time to tune in there, too.
0: Perfect. Uh, Geneva, thanks for coming in for a installment of GS for Government, and we'll see you on Zoom on Tuesday. Sounds good. See you then. Nothing says summer like a fair and rodeo, and this weekend, San Miguel County's fair kicks off in style. With dessert contests and public tastings, a flying acrobatic circus, small and large animal shows, mutton-busting, a junior rodeo, and a Colorado pro rodeo, it's not a week to be missed. The San Miguel Basin Fair and Rodeo starts on Saturday, July 16th with a dessert contest. The circus will come to town on Sunday, July 17th. Animal shows take place through the week with the rodeo at the fairgrounds on Friday, July 29th and Saturday, July 30th. Demonstrators gathered on the steps of the Capitol in Denver on Sunday to call for legislative action to allow local governments to implement measures to control skyrocketing rents. KGNU's Luis Licon has more.
6: With the cost of high living across the country skyrocketing, many families in Colorado are struggling to keep up. Inflation and high gas prices are contributing factors, but the rent hikes on already high rent are hitting many families, particularly hard, especially those led by single parents. Around 50 people gathered in the heat on the west steps of the Capitol Sunday to demand a repeal of rent stabilization ban that the state legislature enacted back in 1981. The ban prevents local state governments from adopting rent stabilization policies appropriate for each local circumstance. The Colorado Supreme Court upheld to the ban in 2000 after the mountain resort town of Telluride attempted to control skyrocketing rents within its limits. Among the rally attendants was Denver City Council President Pro Tem Jamie Torres.
0: Over the past several years, from 2015
7: to 2018, we lost 3,000 residents in West Denver of their housing turnover were to investment purchases. Those homes will
0: never come back to the market. They will never come back to individual purchasers. So they will always be rented.
6: Repealing the 1981 rent control ban would require legislative action and the legislators out of session until January of 2023. Housing right advocates and families that attended Sunday's rally wanted elected officials to take action. For KGNU, I am Luis Licón.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for scattered showers and thunderstorms tonight with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 50 degrees. Tuesday, showers and thunderstorms are likely with a high in the mid-70s and a low around 50. Wednesday, there is an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high is around 75 degrees with a low around 55. This has been the news for Monday, July 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary.
8: Join us on Wednesday night as another spectacular sunset lights up the Wilson Range and music fills the air of the Sunset Plaza in Mountain Village. The Sunset music series in its 22nd season, is one of the region's great summer traditions presented by Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association. We are kicking off the series on July 13th with Curly Taylor and Zydeco Trouble, all the way from Louisiana. Curly hails from the heart of Creole country and his soulful bluesy vocals and the band's hard-driving Zydeco beat, blend to create a unique style that keeps audiences dancing. Attendance is free of charge. Dine-in and to-go meals are available for purchase from many Mountain Village restaurants. Alcoholic beverages purchased from Mountain Village restaurants can also be enjoyed in the new and expanded common consumption area. This is the first show of the summer series and begins at 6 p.m. on the lawn near Lift One in the Sunset Plaza of Mountain Village and is held Rain or Shine. Presented by TMVOA and supporting sponsors. Check the full lineup at sunsetmusicseries.com and connect with Sunset Concert Series on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.